over and over that salvation comes not from works of the law, but through faith in Christ. This morning, as we continue, I want to put a, a slightly new twist on things by asking you a question. It's a question that oftentimes I think people are, are confused about. How were people saved? That is, how were they made right with God in the Old Testament? Before Christ came. How did salvation work? I want you to think about that carefully. We began chapter 3 last week where Paul turns his address directly to the Galatians. To these Galatian Christians and he is upset with them. To put it mildly. He's upset at how they've been duped. See how they've, they've come to place their faith in Christ. They, they were pagan, Gentile folks who did not believe in the one true God, believing in countless little g gods instead, until Paul came through town about a year earlier preaching the powerful, life-changing gospel of the Lord Jesus, to which they responded in faith, and their lives were radically changed. But... Along came another group of Christians, Jewish Christians, longtime believers in the one true God, who came to believe in Christ. Well, they make their way to these Galatian Christians, and they tell them that they don't measure up. They say, if you really want to be a part of God's people, if you really want to belong, then you've got to become Jewish like us. You've got to follow the laws of Moses. You've got to follow the diet, follow the calendar, and most importantly, you've got to be circumcised. Well, today we're going to continue in this passage that we began last week in the beginning of chapter 3. And we're going to see how Paul demonstrates the ridiculousness of what these Jewish Christians, these Judaizers, they're called, are trying to get the Galatians to believe. It is ridiculous, and I think the way that Paul goes about showing them this is genius. So I want you to stand, if you're able, for the reading of God's Word. We're going to back up and pick up in chapter 3 these five verses that we covered last week to make sure that we keep the context, and we'll read all the way through verse 9. This is God's Word. O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness, know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. 
And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. May God add his blessing to the teaching and the preaching of his inspired, inerrant, infallible, and authoritative word. Let's pray together now for the help that we need. Oh, Father, would you help us again? Would you help us, especially as we, um, uh, as we bridge the two Testaments, old and new, as we seek to understand uh, what you were doing then before Christ and what you have been doing since Christ has come and has died? Help us to understand. Help us to see the unity of what you've been about. And help us to see not just with our eyes, but with our hearts. Help us to believe not just with our minds, but with our hearts together. We ask this in Christ's name and for his sake. Amen. Please be seated. All right, so if you'll keep in mind the question that I asked you, how were people in the Old Testament saved? How did they come to have a right standing before God? Keep that in the back of your mind. And let's try to understand this thing with the Judaizers and the Galatians. To understand the Jews' insistence on Gentile Christians taking up the laws of Moses and especially circumcision in order to be full-fledged members of God's people. Now, if we're going to understand this, we've got to get in the heads of the Jews a little bit. For the Jews, it's hard to think of a more important person, a more important figure to them than Moses. Hard to imagine someone that they held in more esteem because they owed everything to Moses. Moses led them out of slavery in Egypt. Moses received the law from God and delivered it to the people. Moses, in essence, showed them how to be right with God. And no doubt that these Jewish Christians, in coming to the Galatians and trying to convince them they needed to take up the Mosaic law, had to be talking a whole lot about Moses, Moses, Moses. Moses said, Moses did. And so Paul, having been raised a good Jew himself, he's, he's familiar with this. He knows of the Jews' super-duper high esteem that they have for Moses. But Paul also knows, and here's where I think he's a genius. Paul also knows that if anybody could be more important than Moses, if anybody could rise to that level, it would be Abraham. See, if Moses was their great teacher and leader, Abraham was their daddy. Abraham was the father of the Jewish people. See, the the Jews didn't even exist until God called Abraham. Way back in Genesis 12, where God says, I'm calling you out and I'm going to make of you a great people. In fact, a great nation. 
I'm going to give you a land in which to dwell, and I'm going to bless you. And so Paul knows what a big deal it is for Abraham to be the father of the Jewish people. And so to try to dismantle the argument of the Judaizers, he doesn't go to Moses. He goes to Abraham. And he raises the question with them. He says, all right, so you call Abraham father, but what does that really mean? What does it really mean, in fact, to be a son of Abraham? Something that you place such a high value on. What does that mean? And that's the crux of the matter here in verse 7 in our passage. right? Who are the sons of Abraham? Because according to the Judaizers, they were sons of Abraham, but the Galatians were not. Until, that is, they get circumcised like Abraham. So what Paul is doing here is, in essence, conducting a paternity test for the Galatians. It's kind of like the Galatians being on the Maury Povich show. You laugh because you've watched it. You know what goes on there. I'm surprised you admit it. For those of us, myself included, see, I've only heard about the Maury Povich show Here's what goes on. You get some sketchy folks on there that are in some kind of connection or relationship to each other. But there's a question. Are you really the father of this child? Is he really your daddy? And so the suspense builds throughout the show hashing out all the details until the final moment when the DNA results are back and Maury gets to say, you are the father, or as the case may be, you are not the father. And so they always build it up so that the outcome is just shocking. The outcome for Paul's paternity test with the Galatians, this, this gospel paternity test, if you will, the results are shocking. But in true Maury Povich fashion, we're going to build the suspense a little bit before we get to the results. And so to build the suspense, let's unpack verse 6. Just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. All right, so, so this just as, that, that's a linking phrase there. And it links us back to the verses we covered last week, verses 1 through 5 in which Paul is basically expressing his confidence that the Galatians are, in fact, Christians. That the Galatians do have a right standing with the Father. Paul is convinced of this. And we know he's convinced because he makes reference to the Galatians having the Spirit. If you are a Christian, you have the Holy Spirit. And so from last week, verses 2 and 5, both assume that the Galatians have the Holy Spirit. Verse 2, let me ask you only this, did you receive the Spirit by works or by hearing with faith? So the assumption is you've got it, how did you get it? How did you get Him? And verse 5, does He who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you? So again, it's assumed there. 
Paul says, I know you've got the Spirit. I know that you're Christians. And, here's the just ask from verse 6, and that you became so by hearing with faith just as Abraham did. You did it in the same way that Abraham did it when he believed God. And that belief, so that's that hearing with faith that we saw from last week's verses, that belief, that hearing with faith was counted as righteousness. So what we need to unpack are these two things. First, all right, what does it mean for Abraham to believe God? And then second, what does it mean for that belief to be counted as righteousness? So the first one, what does it mean to believe God? This is so central to our passage today. If you glance through verses 6 through 9, you see it repeated over and over, either a a mention of belief or faith. So what does this mean, that Abraham believed God? The first thing you ought to see there is there's no preposition. It doesn't say Abraham believed in God, simply that he existed. No, he believed God. Those are very different things. And from these verses, apparently what it means to believe God is to believe what God said. To take God at his word. And I think verse 8 is our key here. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham saying, and you shall all the nations be blessed. So you mean to tell me That the gospel was preached in the Old Testament? Before Christ was even born? Yes. Well, how was it preached to Abraham? If Christ hadn't even come yet. Well, I've already mentioned how it was preached to Abraham. It, It was preached in the promises that God gave to Abraham. Offspring, people, a nation, a land, and blessing. I'm going to bless you, and in you all the nations, all the ethne, all even the Gentiles will be blessed in you. This is the gospel preached in the Old Testament. Now, before we get too far from this, you need to notice the parallel that Paul draws here in verse 8. Because he is basically identifying this blessing with justification. He connects the dots between the two. You see that in the parallel halves of this verse. And the scriptures foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith. So that's one half. Preach the gospel beforehand saying in you shall all the nations be blessed. We're supposed to see those dots connected there that the blessing promised is justification. That's important because as we go on, we'll see how Paul is making a one-to-one comparison between Abraham's faith and the Gentiles' faith. How someone was saved in the Old Testament and how someone is saved in the New Testament. 
So the gospel preached to Abraham consisted of the promises that God made to him. The promises that, as Paul sees things, are bound up in the good news that will eventually and ultimately be expressed in Jesus Christ. These are the promises. And Abraham's faith, his believing God, is embracing those promises receiving them, holding tight to them as if they are certain. Is as if they are true without a doubt. And this was no small thing. Because the promises of God to Abraham were a lot of things, but they were far from certain. In fact, they were highly improbable from human understanding, right? I'm going to make of you a great nation. Um, you don't have a son. And you're old. I'm going to give you a land. Well, God's actually telling him to leave his land, and he's not telling him where to go. And see, it will continue to be difficult for Abraham to believe. It will continue to be highly improbable because once he does have a son, what does God call him to do? Sacrifice that one son that you have. Y'all, but here it is. Even hiking up Mount Moriah, he continued to believe He continued to believe the promise of God, believing that God would provide a substitute, that God would provide another sacrifice, a different sacrifice to be sacrificed in the place of his son. See, at the heart of Abraham's faith, of his believing God, is trusting God's provision and not his own performance. How was someone saved in the Old Testament? Abraham was saved by trusting God's provision and not his own performance. So yes, the gospel was preached in the Old Testament. It consisted of promises God was making, promises that would find their ultimate fulfillment in Jesus, promises of a sacrifice, of a a sinless substitute that would give people right standing before him. All right, so this is Abraham's faith. This is what it meant for him to believe God. And this leads us to our second thing that we need to unpack. Because his believing God gets counted to him as righteousness. So let's start by making sure we're all on the same page about righteousness. Because the Judaizers and Paul were on two very different pages. See, everyone would agree that Abraham was righteous. No argument there. Abraham was righteous righteous. They would all agree, but they would not all agree on how to define that righteousness or on how Abraham came to be it. See, the Judaizers, these agitators that were duping the Galatians, they were telling the Galatians that they needed to truly be righteous like Abraham, 
And that would happen when you were circumcised like Abraham and when you obeyed the law like Abraham. Just a small problem with that. Teensy-weensy problem. We get the declaration from God that Abraham is righteous before he gets circumcised. See this verse 6 when Paul is making this reference to Abraham being counted righteous? That's pretty much just a quote of Genesis 15.6. And he, Abraham, believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. That's chapter 15. Circumcision, chapter 17. And so Paul really elaborates on this and, and makes it so explicitly clear that we cannot mess it up. In Romans chapter 4. And so I would encourage you to read all of Romans chapter 4. This afternoon, some other time. It's it's a great thing to have open right next to Galatians 3. And right next to Genesis 12 and Genesis 15 to get the whole big picture. So read the whole thing. But I've just got two verses pulled out. Verses 9 and 10 out of Romans 4. Because Paul's fleshing this out again for the Roman Christians. Is this blessing then, is right standing with God, is justification... Is this then only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised? For we say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. How then was it counted to him? Was it before or after he had been circumcised? It was not after, but before he was circumcised. Like I said, there's so much more there. You need to read it on your own. But it's clear, abundantly clear, Abraham wasn't righteous because he was circumcised. And he certainly couldn't have been righteous for following the Mosaic Law, which came 400 years later. Right? There was no law for him to obey. And yet, counted righteous. So, what is this? Well, It can't be actual righteousness. Just read the rest of Abraham's life. That'll be pretty clear to you. It was not actual righteousness. It was faith that counted as righteousness. Faith that God accepted in the place of actual righteousness. Let me give you an illustration. Y'all, and I'm so hesitant to use illustrations because they all break down at some point. All right, so we'll use this illustration for what it's worth, but we won't press it too far, okay? Consider, so, so this is going to help us, I hope, with this idea of being counted righteous or, or being credited. Consider a, a lease purchase agreement on a, on a house. All right, so you're going to agree, you're going to basically pay rent payments for a while. Sometime down the road, you've got the option of saying, hey, I want to buy it instead, And then all those rent payments that you've made, those count toward the purchase. Okay? So those rent payments were rent payments, but something happens in this agreement, and they their status changes. They're no longer rent payments, they're mortgage payments. They've been been given a different status. They now count differently. They were one thing, now all of a sudden they're a different thing. Abraham was believing God. Then all of a sudden that belief gets a different status attached to it. That belief is now something else. It's now righteousness. 
Now, I want to, here's where I want to press the illustration a little bit. And I want to do so to show you how, how radical, how scandalous this is to arrive at righteousness this way. So think about this lease purchase agreement. And you say, all right, owner of the property, I'm ready, I'm ready to buy it. All right? So he says, all right, well, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to take all the previous rent payments that the tenant before you made for 30 years. And I'm going to count those toward your purchase of the property, and I'm going to give you back everything that you've ever paid in rent. Then we begin to get close to what it means to be righteous by faith. See, this righteousness is not ours. It comes from outside of us. We didn't do anything for it. It's not even our faith. Our faith doesn't earn it. Our faith is just the channel by which we receive it. It's not a reward for our faith. Faith is just the vehicle of how it arrived. So if this seems too good to be true, If it seems too far-fetched to believe, then you're beginning to understand it. See, no other religion in the world has anything remotely similar. Everywhere else, for every other little g God, you've got to perform to be accepted. You've got to earn your acceptance. That's not the gospel. That's not the gospel. I I was reading Keller on this. Uh, He summed it up nicely. I think we've got a quote. There it is. The justified status is not given to them because they have gotten their hearts into a certain level of submission and worship. You don't clean up your life in order to earn credited righteousness or counted righteousness. Rather, you receive it even while you are a sinner. See, with the gospel, it means it is possible to be accepted and loved by God while we are still Sinners, while we are still imperfect. There's another place you'll find when you read Romans 4 where Paul talks about that God justifies the ungodly, the wicked. That's who he justifies. Not the people who have waited and kept God at at arm's length while they try to clean themselves up, while they try to get their act together. Friends, that is not how you come to the Father. You'll never clean yourself up enough. You'll never be ready. You'll never have your act together. You just have to come. You just have to come, just like you are, just as Abraham. So, Abraham believes the gospel, the promises of God. And through that belief, through that faith, God treats Abraham as if he were actually righteous. So are you now ready for the results, the shocking results of this gospel paternity test?
the results for the Galatians are, are, are pretty clear in these last three verses. We should just look at them one more time, 7 through 9. Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. Scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. So, so in Paul's mind, there's no question. The Galatians are daughters and sons of Abraham which more importantly makes them daughters and sons of God the Father. Right? It's the just as from verse 6. Right? They have come to a relationship with God just as, in the same way as Abraham did. So that's not really all that shocking, is it? It shouldn't be. But what is shocking is what the Judaizers would have taken away from this. that they are not sons of Abraham. They might have the physical DNA, but they lacked the oh-so-important spiritual DNA. See, they had to become like the Galatians and come to God only by faith. See, this is the shocking part. This would have been sort of blown their minds, and it would have ticked them off. Because they've been telling the Galatians this whole time, if you really want to belong, you've got to become like us. See, the Jewish Christians had been banking on their physical descent from Abraham. They'd been banking on their performance. And what Paul is saying, you've got to get rid of all that. Get rid of the family tree, get rid of circumcision, get rid of the law, and embrace Christ only. That's the shocking thing. These Galatians, they're just fine. They don't have to become like you. But you better become like them and come to the Father only through faith with everything else stripped away. That is the only way and has always been the only way for all people, Jew and Gentile alike, to come to the Father and to hear the verdict declared, He is your Father, let's pray. Oh God, that you would take rebels and enemies and make of them daughters and sons is scandalous. And that you would do it without us lifting a finger, without us completing a single work or good deed or act of righteousness, that you would do it simply because you made some promises to us and we clung tightly to them and tried to believe. That you would take that simple act of trusting you and count it as something completely different. Count it as and treat us as if we were perfectly righteous. Is scandalous good news that, Lord, if any of us thinks we've got our mind wrapped around it completely, then clearly we don't. 
God, it's that good news. It's that gospel that we need for you to sink deep down into each of our hearts today and to do it again and again and again until it's our only trust and our only hope. Would you do so by the power of your Spirit at work in this place this morning? We pray in Christ's name and for his sake alone. Amen. So would you-